listening to the Kicking and Screaming podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Vanessa Guerrero. I'm your other co-host, Thanksgiving Elijah. It's our special Thanksgiving episode. Elijah. Yeah. Thanksgiving Elijah? Yeah, that's me. Thanksgiving Elijah. We're doing this? I, I don't have anything planned, but I've formally changed my name to Thanksgiving Elijah for the purposes of this episode. Also, I'm sitting on a turkey. <laughs> if you haven't listened before, uh, we're not a podcast in which my husband just tells me that he legally changed his name to Thanksgiving Elijah. Uh, we are a podcast that combines two great tastes that taste great together, and that is the horror genre and the martial arts genre. We think they're frequently uh, under-discussed or underrepresented ones, and even when they are, it's usually uh, just the highbrow and we're video store dorks so we have a good mix of everything here and uh, we think if you love one chances are you're gonna love another and if you don't know anything about either well you're in the right place yeah welcome we don't know things either Hello. welcome we're big dum-dums <laughs> and we're all best friends <laughs> um, if you're also listening the week of Thanksgiving we would like to wish you a happy kicksgiving yeah um, happy kicksgiving in this house it's uh, martial arts movies for Thanksgiving and horror movies for Christmas don't know why we decided that well you gotta alternate you know you gotta alternate the big ones and of course yeah. you're not gonna do kung fu on Halloween you do horror for Halloween so then yeah. Thanksgiving gets martial arts and, and then, then there's jab January jab January alright that's a new one but I like it and then violent valentines Oh, yeah. Horror for Valentine's. That's true. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. We'll, we'll, that's pretty we'll much put it for the rest of the year. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's nothing between February and October. No, I actually um, started doing this not just because it's like a th it was a thing on El Rey while I was on the network, but this was something that you had done like for yeah, quite some yeah. time. That was uh, when I was uh, working at a video game store, uh, running a little retail business. Uh, and we were open 365 days a year because we were... Uh, small retail place and kind of needed like every edge that we could get so uh i you know determined early on that if we were the only place in town that was open on holidays then we would get a little extra business uh which was true but it also meant that i was the only person working uh 12-hour shifts uh solo on holidays uh, and so every day, uh, or every year on Thanksgiving, I would just bring a little stack of movies and do a little movie marathon, uh, pretty much for myself. I don't know why they exclusively became martial arts movies, uh, but I guess just because of who I am as a person. Uh, well, it's because the two genres that I, you know, always want to be marathoning are horror and martial arts, and it was easier to find like retail appropriate martial arts movies than horror movies. Uh, but yeah, thus the tradition of Kicksgiving was born. Yeah. Um, and on that note, uh, we promised that we would give a, a little list of recommended, uh, martial arts Thanksgiving pairings, uh, if you want to also celebrate Kicksgiving at home. However uh, your family chooses to celebrate. Yeah. However you celebrate Kicksgiving, whether it's kicking each other, kicking your enemies or kicking neighbors. Kicking your neighbors. Yeah. I'm probably going to kick a neighbor. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see what happens. But uh, what are what are the movies that we have on a doc, Elijah? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is uh, my my current playlist uh for for this year's Kicksgiving, and I always kind of uh you know do it on a rotation. There's stuff that you know uh, there are a couple of titles that are in there like every year for me, uh because they are weirdly just like Thanksgiving tradition for me now. Uh, but then I try to you know cycle a few out, uh, and we'll see if uh we'll see if we can get through all these. Okay. Um, because I, I I know we also have to have dinner at some point. It used to just be me watching movies for 12 to 16 hours. 
Uh, but we'll we might see. have two dinners. I'm feeling pretty manic, baby. Yeah. All right. We'll we'll see how it goes. We'll see how many movies we can get watched. But uh, my general criteria are that you want to have uh, at least two, but ideally all three of the three Fs, uh, which is food, family, and that's found or otherwise, and uh, fighting. So, you know, those three things that uh, really do make up the core of Thanksgiving as we know it, food, family, the occasional fight. Uh, oh, no. No, I was just going to say, so what are they? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh so we've got a uh, executioners from Shaolin, of which course. We, you know, rewatched recently uh, for the pod with a uh, uh, William Bibiani, and is a great movie about family and uh, has some pretty good like dinner table scenes in there. It does. Yeah. So it really it really hits on all three of the the important F's. Uh, Return of the Five Deadly Venoms is like a Thanksgiving oh. staple for me, um, mostly because of the like kind of found family element. Uh, but it also was one that I would just like always screen in the store on Thanksgiving. And if uh, customers did happen to come in while that was playing, uh, it was a particularly fun one to like introduce people to because you would get a lot of, you know, people that uh, had not seen it, but were immediately like captivated by it because it is just a really gorgeous movie. It's stunning. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and a lot of it takes place at that kind of like a uh, restaurant slash inn that they just sort of post up in and take over. Uh, so that kind of counts, especially if you're doing like a, you know, a solo or uh, like Friendsgiving type of thing where you're like going out to eat. Um, City of Violence. Um, Absolutely. City of Violence rules. Uh, and that one in particular, because it was one that I had on at the store once and a group of people, uh, it was like towards the end of the night and a group of like regular customers that saw that we were open all like brought in Thanksgiving leftovers and watched City of Violence together. It's just a very disparate group of people, including a man who uh, definitely had stabbed someone before. Which is extremely City of Violence vibes. Yeah, he's because there's a stabbing in the movie, and he's like, no, it's not like that in real life. And we're like, oh, <laughs> chilling. Uh, Bushido Man, which does not... obvious. Does not hit on as much of the family elements. There's little shades of it, but the the, the food, food, the food, the and food the is there. Yeah, there's and so much food. That's a good one to watch for like antipasti. You know, like yeah, that's like an earlier in the day, like when when dinner's about to be ready, so you're yeah. like ravenous by the time it's done. Exactly, like you watch it, it makes you hungry, but it's also like kind of kind of lighthearted. It's a breezy one, so it's when people are still, uh, you know, up up and about uh, prepping appetizers and whatnot. Uh, Wheels on Meals, family. They got a food truck. They got meals. They got meals. They're on wheels. They, they're on wheels, and they're uh, cousins, I believe. You know, Jackie Chan. I think they're cousins. Identical cousins. Why is that and very old theme song was, in my head? Yeah, you went to it immediately. There was no second reference. I just said the word cousins, and you were like, "Done, sold." <laughs> All right, your brain just. I watched a lot of TV Land as a kid. Yeah, and then uh, first time, first time on the Kicksgiving rotation, new edition this year, and uh, shout out. I think I can guess what it is. Shout out to Ian McAndrew for reminding me on Twitter because uh, I always default to like nostalgic stuff for uh, for holiday playlists. And this one is new enough. Think of the future, Elijah. I know. I mean, by next year, it's already going to be nostalgic. Uh, Hydra, new new movie. It's got the food. It's got the found family. I've made everyone watch Hydra in oh, front of me this year. Hydra is so goddamn good. I'm like annoying about it. I'll like put it on my laptop and be like, sit and watch this. You yeah. don't have to talk to me, but just sit and watch it. There's, I, I feel like uh, 
there's been a lot of I've seen a really good amount of like uh, a reassuring amount of like first time watches that I've immediately fallen in love with this year. And so it's going to be hard making like an end of year list, but Hydra is almost certainly my favorite thing that I've seen in like a few years. It's I love it so much. Remarkable. It really is remarkable. It's it's right up there with Malignant for like the most me shit that I've seen where I'm just like, damn, this this is a movie that I accidentally dreamed and then it became real. It's so funny you say Malignant uh, because two things. One... Elijah and I are going out of the country soon, so we're going to be banking a few episodes. That's true. We uh, two, my next pick was Malignant. Nice. All right. <laughs> so I was like, it's time. Enough time has passed. Yeah. Immediately after we record this, we're watching Malignant, pairing a martial arts movie with it, and then recording the next episode. We're just going to keep piling them up. We're going to keep yeah. stockpiling them. Yeah. We actually uh, got to bank like two. Two. We can do it. We're yeah. strong. We can do it. Uh, what are you going to pick after Malignant? I have no idea. I'm still one 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 step at a time. I don't even remember what I picked this episode. Let's get to it. That's I'm your actually, Thanksgiving playlist. Kids we're not giving. normally this uh, discombobulated, but uh. <laughs> we're more together than this. We it's have a, been. I, I was firing on a every sin- cylinder. You were? I was firing on all cylinders I just, last week. I don't know that it's fair to a first-time listener to say that we're not usually this discombobulated, because I would say it's about a 50-50. I'd give us 50-50 odds, because life is tough. Anyways, Elijah. Anyways. Let's get right to what you picked this week, because I'm actually beyond elated to talk about it. Yeah, same, actually. Uh, I was real stoked uh, to watch it with you. Uh, My martial arts pick this week uh, is another movie that, frankly, uh, is great on a kicksgiving playlist, because it's all about family, baby, and fighting. A little bit of food. I chose. Johnny Toes, throw down. Johnny Toes, throw down. Throw down. I was trying to make the motion for Elijah to be louder, and instead he made a kazoo uh, hand and just spoke into that like no, that was the microphone. it was a megaphone hand to make my voice louder. Hello, it's me, Elijah. Might have been a kazoo. You're right. I think it had more of a... More of a kazoo. More of a kazoo property. Anyways, I hadn't seen Throwdown before this. And it's... I've said this a lot. But sincerely. Deeply sincerely. Because I have a ranking of all of the ones I've loved. You know, Executioners from Shaolin. Hydra. There's a lot of movies where I watch it. And I'm like, oh my god, this is one of my new favorite things that you've ever seen. That you've ever shown me. Um... Number one of the bullet right now, Throwdown by Johnny Toe. Um, oh, <laughs> so glad to hear that. Uh, within 10 minutes, I looked at you and I'm like, I'm about to be all about this for the rest of my life. It's and one then of 30 those minutes movies. In, and I was like, I'm about to make my personality about this. <laughs> and then an hour in and I was just like, top 10 movies. And then by the time the movie was over, I was just like, I already want to watch it again from the beginning. Um, I, well, I feel like you're omitting the part where by the end of it, you were like, should I learn judo? Okay. <laughs> 
So the next day, I actually Googled Judo Los Angeles, and I fired off a few emails. Yes. Um, <laughs> Learn Judo. That is how much I loved this movie, Elijah. It's Holy so good. shit, where has Throwdown been my entire life? It has feelings. It has it has uh, dirt bags. It. I was telling you the entire time that tonally and in like character essence, it felt more like Cowboy Bebop than a Cowboy Bebop remake because it was so stylish so cool each of the character was like the same lovable dirtbag that's just trying to survive in the environment that they live in and like leaning on each other i love throwdown if it, you like cowboy bebop you like throwdown i i agree with that throwdown feels like it exists in like the the same universe like this could you know obviously it's just earth in the early 2000s but it feels very much like it could just be like a planet in cowboy bebop uh yeah, stylistically, the very, like, noir and jazz, like, aesthetic and elements, uh, while also being about, like, yes, dirtbags doing their best to survive, and also, like, the fighting spirit of a martial artist who, like, the, you know, does not exist in a world that still has a place for that, uh... I don't know. There's so much to love about this. And yeah, every character is kind of Spike Spiegel, uh, which I love. It's a movie full of spikes. It's a movie full of Spike Spiegel. Oops, all spikes. <laughs> it's my favorite brand of cereal. Oops, There's literally all a villain spikes. named Savage. That's true. Well, and I mean, I feel like even like the villain moniker is like questionable. Like, this is a movie of anti heroes. No one is straight, like good or bad i liked movie. a man that cut another man with a box cutter yeah no he cuts a man with a box cutter super casually and then he fucking wrecks an eight-year-old at air hockey and talks shit to his face <laughs> but then so like good. i kind of like him oh no he's so lovable by the end of it because he's all about judo and you're like ah his fighting spirit you love to see it it's throwdown is a movie about being unsnuffable uh and oh man it's, i i'm so in awe of this but for those who haven't watched it tell us tell us what throwdown yeah is about. so uh throwdown which uh as a as a fun fact i believe it's it, it was either this or heroes of the east but those two were the first two discs that i ever rented from netflix back what when, like, Early Netflix was largely to be, <laughs> yeah, and it was uh, that was why I signed up for Netflix originally was because they had those two movies because I had been like looking to rent them and like nowhere local to me in Denver at the time had a copy of either I like called rental places and I was like let's see what that online DVD rental store is all about so I looked up Netflix <laughs> and found out that they had those two movies. Uh, and, and yeah, my, my introduction to, uh, even just like this director, I feel like, uh, was not the, uh, the common, the way that I think most people discover this director because he has, uh, much more successful and famous and popular films. Uh, Johnny Toe is like super prolific, uh, and has done a bunch of, uh, very well-known, uh, like fantastic stuff. A lot of like very good, like crime thrillers, um, and yeah, I feel like most people will see like uh, election or try it election. Or recently, there was like a drug war was you know pretty pretty big. 
Uh, he has a lot of films that are more hyped up than Throwdown. Uh, but back when I worked at a video rental store, I rented uh, Full Time Killer, uh, another one of his, which is fantastic and very much my shit. And uh, was looking like, you know, okay, what else has this guy directed? Immediately saw that there was one about judo and was like, well, that's that's the one. Uh, and I, I still think, like, it got and a And cri- it just got Criterion. Yeah, it just got a Criterion release, which is great. And I think that because of that, like, a lot of people are kind of, like, rediscovering it or, like, seeing it for the first time now, which I'm so happy for because it's still probably my favorite film from this like super prolific and incredible uh director who's like a lot of his movies are very good but uh yeah man throwdown it is about a uh, uh essentially a trio of people who uh are all kind of kind of broken in various ways or just like kind of going through it um that just they they all feel relatable to like different like rough places that uh i i don't know i've i feel like a lot of it was like my 20s you know yeah they're in different presentations of just like i don't know man but this is working for me yeah because like not including the main character you have tony whose only thing is just like i just want to fight the best guy in every town uh and to where but to the point where he's like i'll uproot everything for it yeah, uh, no, Tony, he is singularly hyper fixated on on doing judo and challenging people to judo. But like to the point of, you know, his introduction is he's like walking up to this bar. He looks at the bouncer as like, you're pretty big. Let's fight. I bet I can knock you down in one move. Like, I'll bet you money on it. And the idea that this is a dude that just challenges a stranger outside of a bar to a like bare knuckle street fight and it works for him yeah and it works for him and that's literally that's it that's his whole personality and he plays the and, saxophone like, he plays the saxophone but i i honestly feel like he learned to play saxophone so that he could get a job at this jazz club to get closer to the guy that he wants to fight that's in line for tony yeah and- he has an obsessive singular fixation on fighting and in in this way is like not super healthy but is very plucky plucky and lovable in like an anime protagonist kind of way um it's pretty much the same deal with mona for me um who might be my favorite character in this she's great uh because there's so much in it's incredible that this movie uses some of mona being the worst to illustrate how uh, precious and beautiful life is and that it's worth surviving for. Um, Like it never uses Mona being like, look to the sky or there's sunshine all around us or like whatever like manic pixie dream version in another movie it would be where she helps the protagonist like realize that life is worth chasing something for. Most of these are moments in which Mona is like kind of a dirtbag. Yeah. No, I... So the the relationship between Mona and uh, Zeto, who I I guess is kind of yeah like the protagonist, he's like kind of I mean they're the all three of them, but he's maybe the most main of the main characters, uh, and he is they're united by they're he's what brings them together. Yeah, and uh, he is the uh, alcoholic uh, and seemingly like pretty 
depressed. Uh, is he like the owner or manager of this? I believe he manages it. Yeah, this uh, karaoke the bar. always like, yelling at him. Right, right. Uh, and like jazz club. Uh, and he plays uh, lead guitar for the house band for their like live band karaoke. Uh, but yeah, he is introduced as just being like fall down drunk. And Tony shows up to uh, to challenge him to fight and he like doesn't even know where he is he just kind of laughs at him is like nah sorry man and then gets on stage and falls down just just blacks out halfway through the set uh and that's that's your introduction to zeto and that's where he stays for about like two-thirds of the movie because by and the time you meet mona he's still face down on the ground yeah as she's being thrown out of her apartment by a woman who has had it with her right and for like a immediately apparent valid reasons yeah she's <laughs> not paid rent she like tried to pay her rent with a fake piece of jewelry she's like clearly just like a a kind of low rent con artist at this point uh as her things are being thrown in the street she's just kind of smiling eating an instant noodle just like man spend a lot of time on this. her hair still wet from the shower from like presumably when she was kicked out yeah and she's very just like oh it's a it's a big reaction you know Making making a lot of noise out here. I don't know. Didn't need to do all this. I loved her stealing an apple from the shrine. Oh, she's she's so good. No, everything about her character. I love her introduction. Uh, and they she, want you to know how indelicate she is immediately. Yeah, yeah. and she uh, she shows up at the uh, the club uh, where Zeto is the you know house manager and guitarist. Uh, he's still blacked out when she comes into uh, audition for uh, a job singing in the band. And Tony shows up. Uh, Tony having uh, incapacitated their saxophone player in a street fight, dislocated his arm, and then gave him cab fare home. Uh, Tony shows up the next day with a saxophone, like, I'll replace him, but you gotta fight me. <laughs> and, yeah, Zeto immediately, still very much, like, very clearly drunk from the night before, is like, both of you come help me out with something. And brings them along to steal money from a local gangster <laughs> which by the way not only does he recruit them and they're down but it's also like a pretty tight operation yeah no they throw it together pretty quickly like they it, it seems like he already had the plan and was like i need two people to help me and then they showed up which was you know worked very well uh but yeah i love how quickly they become like a, a heist team and the fact that Tony keeps kind of just popping in and out to be like, hey, you ready to fight me yet? Nah. All right. I'm going to go fight this Fine, other guy. Fine. I'll give you money and play Capcom, I guess. Yeah. He's like, all right, look, I'll help you rob this guy, but you got to fight me. Uh, oh, which is an incredible scene. After they steal the money, Tony yep. just starts throwing him. Just starts throwing him. And Bo does nothing. No, he just he just gets thrown. He does not fight back. And there's actually like a scene that uh, or a moment that uh, I think on previous watches, uh, which is weird because at any other point in my life that I was watching this movie, uh, candidly, I was almost certainly far more depressed than I am today because uh, <laughs> I did not used to be nearly as emotionally healthy as I am uh, at this current stage in my life. And so like, I know for a fact that the previous times that I watched this, I was much closer to like being in the headspace of some of these characters than I am now. But for some reason, this was the first time uh, I had interpreted it this way. Uh, but Tony like throws Zeto around uh, just 
completely bodies him keeps slamming him on the ground repeatedly and he he does nothing he does not struggle he doesn't try to fight back at all and there's all this talk about like oh he used to be like the golden the golden boy of judo he was like the king of judo everyone said you know he was going to be unbeaten whatever and now you know he just he just quit one day and started drinking and you know it's it's such a shame and a waste of talent but you keep like waiting to see his judo skills and once tony starts tossing him around that there are none he does nothing he doesn't try to break his grips he doesn't grapple with him he doesn't try to counter he just gets like pretty fucked up but tony ends it by like choking him on the ground and while he's choking him mona is like picking up the money that they've dropped and just being like hey you're, you're choking him it's you're a hilarious scene it's a hilarious she's scene, like squatting and, and picking up money that's falling nobody's like really doing anything to like prevent it from flying away he's yeah. being actively thrown around like a rag doll and it's all in a single shot as she's just like crawling it's, around around them it's a hilarious it's a, scene a fantastic this scene. is a very think, funny movie i think because it is like played for laughs every other time i saw it i did not have this interpretation but the the final beat of that in which tony is just choking him on the ground zeto like he has no he doesn't know this dude really tony showed up that morning and all he knows about him is that he like broke his saxophone player's arm or dislocated it and you know in a street fight and has shown up the next day to be like, I'm here to fight you. Yeah. He doesn't really like have any reason to trust that this is a friendly sparring match. The guy just started slamming him on concrete, like no questions asked. And now he's being like choked unconscious on the floor. He does not fight back. He's lying there. Oh, I noticed it, it immediately that he yeah. didn't tap. I like, yeah, he doesn't have, he doesn't struggle. And I like never previously clocked like, Oh, he's just okay with dying right now. Yeah, that's what I got. Yeah, like for some reason I like was always laughing so much at that scene that I'm just like, haha. Yeah. Well, because Mona's like, hilarious, right? And it's like, oh, he's just like fucked up and doesn't really like know what's going on because he's still like kind of wasted. But it's like, oh no, he's at a point in his life where if a stranger chokes him to death in the street, he's, he's not cool fighting with back. It. Yeah, he's just like, okay, this is me now. Uh, yeah, so that's that's where he spends about two thirds of the film, which I kind of love. Purse swapping and getting choked out, and you're like, what could he possibly need this money for? And it immediately goes to gambling. Yeah, he just has a gambling addiction. He just goes With a, he, and a lot of debt. Yeah, he just shows up, starts gambling, and even when he's up, he just keeps like letting it ride. He just keeps going double or nothing. Even when it's like, Oh, that's probably enough to like pay off his debts and be fine. It's like, nah, he doesn't walk away from the table. He just keeps going until he has nothing. Uh, but yeah, the, the dynamic between him and Mona, uh, is, is so good because you, you talked about, you know, her kind of, uh, reigniting this like spark or this like, uh, willingness to see joy or beauty in, in life or in the world. And, you're right it's not the the manic pixie dream girl it's not you know oh i'm so like twee and fascinating it's another person who's also struggling and like having a really rough time and been handed kind of a shitty lot in life doing their best to get by but like seeing them put in a little more effort than you are just seeing someone else who's like also struggling to get by but they're like still in the fight at a point that you're not and sometimes that's enough and there's the moment where like they're gambling 
uh, in the the seedy underground gambling parlor. He you know, don't, like lets it ride, loses a huge stack of cash, and Mona just grabs it off the table and sprints out. They're both running down the street trying to escape. You know, she's just going. She's just booking, and you see him smile for the first time in the movie because he's just looking at this absolute maniac running with this like ludicrous fistful of cash as it's just like flying you know through the air just like she's just dropping fistfuls of cash sprinting in high heels trying to get away from these gamblers and like he has this weird kind of sobering moment of watching this play out and just kind of laughing and smiling at how absurd it all is but also i think just i don't know man she went for the money she reached for it she was like trying to salvage something there and then she wants life yeah she wants everything that it has to offer she knows things are bad but she's desperate for more yeah she's not given up yet and the fact that like he sees that and and smiles like that's that's kind of the first turning point and that's where you see him like start to be a little more just proactive about his life and start like actually making decisions rather than just kind of like quietly being a passenger getting through from the next drink to the next drink and uh yeah i I love that dynamic and then you also have tony showing up periodically to be like you ready to fight me (laughs) and how do we not talk about tony lung oh yes who plays uh Kong. kong yes an incredible judo practitioner with one move but it's all he fucking needs, and it's breaking your arm. Yep, he shows up in a street fight. And winking like a hot guy. Breaks a bunch of people's arms, and he's like, this is my move. You can't beat it. And leaves, and everyone's like, fuck. Uh, Tony goes to challenge his dojo after he winks at Tony like a hot guy. God, he's hot. Tony Long is so goddamn. He's so, he's so fine. He's so fine all the time, and just like him is just like a a judoka with a threatening aura i'm like oh just breaking arms in sequence yeah. he breaks like 10 guys arms in he a just row keeps snapping them, just lining them up and snapping them i uh i really love that kind of like yeah like sort of standing arm bar thing that he does and i i want to learn how to do this because i feel like that's such a great and decisive way to start and finish a fight that you're immediately just like your arm's dislocated I win. You can't fight anymore. You have one arm. I win. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, that's that's such a great fight ending thing. Uh, and I I also love uh, just that, that premise for a character because that feels very in line with uh, judo, really. That like you can get very, very good at a small handful of moves. And it's like if you're really, really good at doing this throw that's going to slam somebody on their head and you've learned every possible way to like start that throw and how to get to that throw from any other position, how to stop people from like countering that throw. And th- and that's all you do. You just have one really good throw and you dump people on their head. That's all you need. You can be a master of judo. You can be like, you can win tournaments. You can, you know, win street fights by just getting very, very good at your one move. And I feel like that's true of like grappling and almost nothing else. Cause like you couldn't be a boxer who's like, you know, a high level professional boxer who's got one strong punch. It's like, you got to have the other punches. You got to have jab. You got to have a hook. I mean, Tony, I feel like was also Tony Lung or the character, Tony, the character, Tony, Okay, character Tony Tony. versus Kong. Cause like 
Kong later challenges, uh, I mean, is challenged by uh, uh, Zato, uh, was also set up as like a choose life kind of thing, but it wasn't as stark as Mona because I think Mona is so much more similar yeah. to Zato. But like on Tony's end, his arm gets like dislocated after this challenge, and his response is, all right, I'm going to get really fucking good at doing this with one arm. Yeah. And, like, every scene with him in a sling isn't played for that, like, saccharine, oh, look at him overcoming challenges and adversity to, like, there's something about it that seems almost uh, admirably manic. Oh, absolutely. No, it is it is such a manic energy. Tony doing the, like, one-arm shoulder throw with his arm in a sling. And, and he's psyched about it the entire time. Yeah, it's not even like manic is absolutely the word I was gonna use. It's it doesn't even feel like a like a rocky like punching the meat in the you know a slab of beef hanging off a hook or whatever like running up the stairs and holding his arms up. It's not even like a celebratory like he's so strong kind of montage. It's like if Icarus loved his ball of wax. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a dude repeatedly drawn to the thing that just fucked up his arm and just being like now i want to do it harder yeah (laughs) which is which is he's a sadist he's such a sadist but he loves it yeah i i also uh feel like they each character almost is like the same character at a different point in their timeline because like Tony is so, you know, hyper fixated on following his dream. There's like this one thing that he is passionate about and he will burn every bridge. He will punch a police horse in the mouth. He will do whatever he has to to get that judo fix because like that is that's him. That's what he cares about. That's his passion and he's not going to like ever make that second priority. He's not ever going to you know minimize the part of himself that's like no i live for this and then you have mona who you know we we eventually learn uh is from taiwan but has traveled a few places now trying to make it uh as as a singer and has ended up in hong kong uh but has not had any luck and is now like I, I found an agent who's going to work with me and like take me to Japan. I'm going to go to Tokyo and be a singer there. Like I think I'll have better luck there. And when she says it to other characters, they no one is supportive. Not one person in Everyone this movie. Everyone laughs in her face or questions Yeah, it. they either like outright just laugh and are like, <laughs> he, yeah, yeah, you're going to go be a singer in Tokyo for sure. Uh, or they're like, oh, are you sure? I mean, maybe you should start work. And her dad is very like, this isn't responsible, and I feel like I'm I'm just gonna lose you, and like it's it's not working out. And I think it's time to call it quits. Mona absolutely refuses to. She's like, getting evicted, getting her stuff thrown out on the street, like wanders to a jazz club in the middle of the night with all of her th- belongings. And she is was like, forced into prostitution, which is somehow, I promise you, a fantastic bit in the movie it's a very good it's actually bit. a good bit and what me saying it sounds like it's but it's a legitimately fantastic bit but she's gone through a lot to do this she's and she's dealt a with lot. a lot of awful people in the process and she has eyes on the prize nothing yeah. else exists and she, to Mona. she's still just absolutely like no i'm gonna go to japan and eventually she says it it's like one of the more uh i i think like central to the film's thesis uh lines is that she eventually says because uh, I think 
uh, I think she's talking to Zato and he's like, you know, ah, but like, what, what do you, do you really think that's going to work out for you? And she says something like, uh, I'm not afraid of losing. I just have to keep trying it. Like, I'm, I'm not afraid of the thing not happening for me, but I'm more afraid of just not doing it. Like yeah. Giving up. And yeah, that, that idea that's like, Oh no, like I know that there's every likelihood that I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to do this thing and never find success. I'm never actually going to get like the dream version of what I want, but you'll never lose the race if you don't buy the ticket. Exactly. And uh yeah so she's like kind of in that middle stage she's you know definitely i think lost more at this point than like tony has uh but then you have zato who has given up on the thing that he loves he was you know the the best at judo a thing that we've learned at this point uh you know even if only through watching the characters in this movie takes a lot of effort and discipline and if it's something you do at a very high level like to be that respected and that good at it then it's probably like one of the only things that you do. It's at least your main thing. And he, uh, yeah, has not practiced it in a while. He's completely given up and has basically hit a point where he realized like, yeah, I'm never going to achieve what I wanted to with this. So I'm just not going to do it anymore. I'm going to kill that part of myself. I'm just going to, you know, take that thing and pack it up in a closet and label it finished you know just it's a thing from the past but then it leaves this like big empty hole in him yeah and it's also so clearly not something that only affected him yeah because there is uh his his old instructor from his dojo uh that is now like struggling to keep students because they've you know kind of lost their most famous athlete and uh in a humiliating way because he just bailed on a tournament yeah and so you know the the dojo kind of lost its reputation uh his his former instructor is forced to compete in a tournament uh despite being uh kind of too old to uh compete at that level uh and he ends up uh i think his heart gives out and he he ends up dying in the tournament uh but yeah there there are other competitors like tony and like kong who want to challenge this dude because he was the metric for success in their field so like they can never like sleep knowing that they're the best at judo because that guy might have been better than them and then he just never fought them uh there's an amazing twist which uh spoilers uh definitely go watch throwdown this is actually kind of so normally there aren't like huge spoilers in the martial arts parts of this um or it's like here's a really cool sequence and we don't want to tell you what it is because we'd rather you experience it this is a legitimate plot to- twist yeah i didn't see this coming in either direction and it's, and it's absurd for a country fucking mile but go ahead uh but yeah and also just uh in general like if you haven't seen throwdown go watch throwdown it fucking rules and i've been largely okay with like spoiling parts of it because so much of the movie is vibe and aesthetic and like atmosphere uh but significant plot point spoilers to follow uh tony declares uh at one point that the reason he is so gung-ho about this particular fight and the reason he's like i'm not leaving until you take my challenge seriously uh with seto 
uh, is because he has a hereditary eye condition. He's got glaucoma. He's going to lose his vision. His vision is like fading rapidly. And so he like needs to have these fights before he goes blind and he can never compete again. And, you know, it's a very like heartfelt motive. Eventually Mona's like, yo, you seem fine. Like you've been coming around for a while and you're acting like nothing is wrong. Like, aren't you losing your vision? Like you're getting tossed around by Kong and stuff. Like you seem fine. And he's like, what are you talking about? Oh, the vision stuff. Yeah, no, that's a lie. It's an outright lie that I made up. I just really love fighting people. And nobody gets it, so I gotta lie. Yeah, he's like, whenever, you know, whenever I would, like, challenge people, they seemed to suspect that there was some other motive, so I made that up, and people started taking my challenges more seriously. And the fact that he, like, had fully just created, like, a sociopathic lie that he's like, I have this terrible disease that's making me go blind like and and my my last wish before i lose my vision is that you fist fight me in the street like that is deranged tony but again very you know singularly laser focused on his his pursuit uh but zato knocks him the fuck out just fucking attacks him and it's the first time you see him fight Anyone. anyone anyone at all and there's an incredible sequence in which Tony is about to uh, throw him with kind of like the like Ivan Senagi, like the one arm shoulder throw kind of thing that he's been throwing everyone with, just like slinging him over his shoulder. And you're like, yeah, this is Tony's move. This is his equivalent to like Kong's like breaking the arm kind of thing where it's like, yeah, that's his strongest throw. It's the first thing he's going to go for. And not only uh, does zeto like snuff the throw and like counter it he then turns it into uh throwing tony he like turns it into like a harai goshi i think like a hip throw uh but yeah he like effortlessly like snuffs the throw and then fucking flips tony onto the ground and tony has this moment of holy shit because not only is it the first time you've seen this like judo legend finally use judo but like He's good. He's, he's real good. Like, and the fact that he's actively drunk, he's actively fall down drunk and still like just on muscle memory alone after, you know, however long of not practicing, flips him on the fucking ground. So this is the best day of Tony's life. Oh yeah, Tony is like raring to go. Uh, but it also, yeah, like kind of ignites something uh, in Zeto. And <laughs> afterwards there's a moment of like, yo, why did you attack Tony for lying? And you later learn that the reason Zeto stopped doing judo and like dropped out of the competition at the height of his success and skill. My God. Is because he was diagnosed with a rare hereditary <laughs> d- condition. He, he has, has glaucoma. glaucoma. He's losing his vision, yeah, likely be, in both eyes. He'll be blind soon. Yeah. And so there's, and the presentation of it, again, like the this movie absolutely like has to be watched they're both cackling through it the they're entire both time. laughing so hard when he's like when he's like so you probably won't believe me but i have a rare form of glaucoma and tony is already laughing like no no you don't you son of a bitch and he just keeps telling him like i'm gonna be blind and they neither of them can make it through without laughing and i just love that because like it the fact that it's not played for like sad violin music while he's like actually 
I am going blind. But the that they're just like, isn't that fucking dumb? Isn't it dumb that the thing you lied about is what what I actually have? It's so much more relatable in the in the way that all of these lovable dirtbags are. When you're just like, well, I guess that's how this shit goes, man. The amount of times things in my life has been like so spectacularly bad, but I literally can't do anything but laugh at it. Um, makes a lot of moments in this relatable because it's that moment when you're like, well, (laughs) I have up. Yeah. You're like, (laughs) that's what I know I have now. We're here now up. It's up, I guess. Um, this, this movie without being, I don't know, overly saccharine without, you know, bringing on the. I don't know how to describe it, but an almost like hollow version of inspiration, that manufactured version of inspiration. Right. It just is by showing a group of people in different states who aren't like perfect people just choosing life. Yeah. And and choosing not to be discouraged from their passions, from following their dreams, even when like anybody else wouldn't fault yeah. them for it and like any when any like reasonable thought or voice says like hey maybe you should call it quits it's like no because if i did then what would i have like yeah. i wouldn't be me i have told you before i am fully in the camp of like delusion at least a small percentage of it similar to the way that we need like potassium but too much will kill us yeah i think delusion is an important ingredient for happiness uh, at least when it comes to like difficult pursuits because like percentages are against you and like a lot I mean, of I the think, times, huh? I think, uh, cause I, I know you have said this to me, uh, in regards to like, uh, following like an artistic vocation or like creative success. And I fully agree with that. I think you, you were right initially that it's just intrinsic to like life. You kind of need it. Yeah. The world is often horrifying and, I think without like a small bit of delusion, even if it's just that like the things that I do matter in some way, <laughs> then like it's life would be too objectively horrifying to yeah. make it through. Sometimes it's romanticizing a day that would otherwise be crappy. Uh, yeah. Sometimes it's looking back on memories and being like, well, when I slept on a mattress on the floor of that shitty apartment, boy, was the moon pretty through the window. Yeah. Like I, I think no matter what, there's always like some level of like the odds aren't for you here, kid. That like delusion is so fucking necessary. And I know this is like hard to explain, but again, it's like salt. Too much will kill you. Yeah. But just the right amount is sometimes the only thing that'll get you to tomorrow. No, absolutely. And I mean, my, uh, my trainer when uh when i was uh kickboxing uh would would tell me uh because occasionally we would we would be at fights and we would meet some you know like big like celebrity fighters someone who you know like fights in all the big bangkok stadiums and he's you know got all the biggest sponsors or he's in movies whatever uh and often they would be like not not like rude not like shitty but they just had a little bit of an attitude, a little bit of like clearly an ego or a chip on their shoulder where it's like, yeah, I know I'm hot shit. And they all kind of acted like that. And my my trainer had said like, you know, I really do think that 
that mentality is kind of necessary to be like one of the best fighters in the world. She's like, I don't think that like everyone who acts like that is going to become a great fighter, but I do think that you need a little bit of that because it takes a little bit of delusion to believe that you can become the greatest at something. And it takes believing that you can become the greatest at something to get pretty good at it. (laughs) So, you know, like to be objectively like a, a high level fighter, you have to be willing to dedicate your whole fucking being to it. And you wouldn't do that if you didn't think there could be some payoff, you know? So it requires that delusion and it's true of, judo but it's true of writing or painting or playing music or you know doing uh, just about anything really that you have to be able to convince yourself like there's some light at the end of it that makes the super terrible stressful difficult parts of it worthwhile uh, or you just wouldn't do it and sometimes it's grabbing a fistful of money and darting into the night and being like maybe it's this yeah maybe this will be my break i don't know uh i i also love that uh i mean god i i I don't want to like kill two hours talking about throwdown but let it be known that i easily could uh so to try to to try to speed through some thoughts uh i appreciate that it is in a lot of ways kind of an archetypal sports movie in that uh you know it's got like the he was the star athlete and like you know he's fallen on hard times and he's you know, struggling with addiction and he's, you know, really at rock bottom, but then he like starts training again and finally wins the big match, but it does not feel like a sports movie at all. Uh, it's got like super dark elements, you know, some of yeah. which we've described, but including like, yeah, the uh, underworld kind of mob boss named brother Savage, who at one point a guy shows up late with his money and he just very casually slices his chest open with a box cutter in like a really horrifyingly flippant, just like slice and walk away. Uh, And it it is never, I don't know. It doesn't feel overly gritty. It never feels overly saturn. It does just feel like real. And somehow it's a movie about these kind of lovable dirtbags who each will do some like kind of terrible things throughout the movie. Like pretty much every character at some point does something that you're like, ah, it's a dirtbag move, but I can't talk about it without grinning. I can't talk about any scene in this movie. It's because nobody's lying about who they are. Yeah. There is honor amongst thieves here. Yeah. And there's, I, there is like a, a, just an authenticity to everyone and an earnestness that you really do root for them, even when they are just like stealing to survive. And you're just like, yes, get away with that money. It's, I love this movie. And pairing it was actually fun because it, the elements of it happening uh, in a musical place with an aspiring singer mm-hmm. was one. Um, and then, uh, something super stylized and, and vivid was another detail that I wanted to, uh, pair it with. And oddly enough, by complete accident, there's some eye stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. There's characters <laughs> being blinded. So for my pick to go with Throwdown, I have chosen... Dario Argento's opera, yes. my favorite Argento movie. 
Oh, it's, it's really good. I don't have a lot of like declarative statements about films sometimes because it's always kind of shifting, except for like my favorite movie is a thing. Um, and there's no such thing as a perfect movie, but the perfect movie is a thing. Uh, <laughs> I agree. Just two things that I always hold as true statements. Um, but uh, I think this is easily my favorite Argento movie for a few elements. I love the opera parts of it it's so beautiful the kills are so theatrical and there's such a self-awareness about like uh performance and creation in it that's kind of happening to where it almost feels like a satire of like the people behind it themselves right down to like the fact that it's chosen as Macbeth and that uh it's seen as this thing that's just like oh what a awful perversion of classics that we prefer it's very like self-aware in some ways um but the soundtrack and style of this is just so beautiful i love opera so much i yeah i i really do love opera uh and for whatever reason i've seen opera like four times in the last year i don't know why like there's like one was with me that's right two of me actually i was gonna say we've done some like uh retrospective screenings for sure uh but like i don't know i've seen opera in theaters a bunch with, with me like well with you but even like uh before we had met like over oh, the yeah. last few years it just like has been uh played at a lot of like festivals and marathons and stuff that i'm attending where it's like oh yeah opera nice it's so pretty uh, on screen it's though. so pretty and i think there was like a recent you know restoration or something maybe is why everyone was was programming it for for a hot minute there uh but yeah i have always said that like my favorite argento is uh deep red and that probably is still true but because i have seen opera so many times recently i'm just like loving it more and more and like I'm potentially inclined to agree with you uh because i realized on on this watch that they're fully two everyday just like household mundane objects <laughs> that uh because of this one movie i look at differently forever uh because i watched opera when i was an impressionable soft brain little child for the first time and there's a kill that happens in which uh, the back of somebody's head is slammed against a coat hanger, one of the little curved metal things that just protrudes from a wall for a coat or a hat. And it kind of spikes him in the base of the skull. Uh, and then, of course, the super iconic, beautiful, brilliant scene in which someone looks through a peephole and is shot through the peephole. Uh, and both of those just seared onto my brain at a young, impressionable age to the point that I... Fully forgot the movie that they were from. I did not remember opera for like 10 years, but could not look at a peephole or one of those coat racks without my brain just like intrusive thought immediately thinking of those things where every time I look through a peephole to this day, I'm like... Hope I don't get shot through the eye like an opera. <laughs> and uh, that actress played by a recent ex of Dario Argento, actually, when they were filming that. Oh, my God. I um, didn't know that. Did that movie, despite not initially wanting to work with him because of that scene, um, because of just how elaborate You're it was. just like, oh, it's a good uh, kill. Despite the fact that she was terrified the whole time because there's a small explosive stuck to the back of her head. And her um, ex is directing it. And, uh, <laughs> and Argento, uh, by all counts, is like maybe not the best like ex to have. <laughs> so. Maybe not the best ex to have. Uh, definitely uh, we, an we, interesting we dude when it comes loves to... women. When it comes to how he feels about women, although I will say 
in hindsight, I think he is so much more willing to poke fun out of himself in this than he has been in anything else. Yeah, because there's the director character who... Who, like, is willfully over the top sometimes in a way that it's like, he knows he knows how he comes off. Yeah. and But also has lines like, I jack off before every scene I shoot, which I've never worked in film. Perhaps you can uh, help me out with the math here, Vanessa. Uh-huh. Uh, if you're directing, say, a feature-length film, uh, how that many, thing how is many whittled scenes, down to a nub. How many scenes do you think you shoot in a given day of production? He is ripping that thing off. Is <laughs> that right? There's got to be nothing from I the guess, base. I <laughs> guess he doesn't clarify that it's to completion every time. Just that he jacks off before every. Do you think he, he just edges for an entire day? He might. Yeah, he just gives it. He just like tugs it a little before he starts rolling every time just to Uh, remind him that he has it yeah he's like i have penis i am man just a little uh choke 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 and then it's just like right i'm dario argento and then he like goes back to it and then uh, at the end of the day he just rips it off um (laughs) yeah i think that's sorry that's what i'm assuming that was his process uh no actually the needle thing was inspired by a joke that he used to make about him like himself and his movies um, because a plot point in this is that the killer tapes needles to the eyes underneath the actress and like makes her watch, which is an incredible, it's so deranged, good. beautiful sequence I... set to metal. But he used to say when he would watch people watch his movies and look away, he wished he could tape needles under their eyes. And so <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of like uh, self-referential things with like both the killer and the director characters oh, for as sure. kind of like, uh, Betty as kind of this uh, vessel for audience almost in a lot of ways, but is also very uniquely offbeat from the second you meet her. She is such a bizarre character, man. Uh, also, quick quick side note on the eye needles. Uh, I love the eye needles, and there's something that like uh, I I don't think that opera uh, like needs a remake or anything. I don't think that most of the film would necessarily even benefit from uh, a remake in any particular way. Beautiful. It's already beautiful. And it does uh, this thing really incredibly of looking very beautiful in like a distinctly European way uh, where it has like, just kind of like a timeless uh, scenic quality and just like very like gorgeous architecture it feels like, like roman holiday it feels like breakfast yes, it feels like there are scenes that are very uh, clearly sound uh, the of sound music of music and, and the swiss alps yeah but then it always like interrupts it with shocking violence and like really good practical gore and somebody getting knifed through the hand and mouth and you know somebody's eye getting ripped out by a bird and i love it because you have these huge sweeping operatic you know vistas and uh, set pieces and then just really pulpy giallo like you know dime store kind of gore that is the shit that i love and there's something about like putting that kind of blood in that kind of backdrop that is just chef's kiss uh so i I don't think it would necessarily even benefit from a remake but the eye needles uh when he first affixes them he says something to the effect of like if you blink you'll destroy your or your eyes will be torn apart or something 
uh, which is incredible. And you're like, holy shit, if her eyes close even a little, these needles will like stab her maybe in the cornea, but it'll definitely like rip her top eyelid off. Which was a panic point for me as a child. It's And it's such a cool premise. Because I also watched Clockwork Orange and oh. the first episode of Cowboy Bebop, so eye stuff. Oh yeah, eye stuff, it's gotcha. Rough times for Vanessa. Uh, but no, I like love that visual and that imagery and it's super horrific and haunting, but then like, you know, the needles don't really line up with her upper eyelid and like she blinks a bit the whole time and you get a couple of droplets of blood. But I'm like, no, I want the version of it where if she closes her eyes at all, it fucking destroys her eyes because that's the nightmare version of it. And I, I wish that it didn't immediately like upend my suspension of disbelief. That's my my one note. Oh, I was for in opera. it the whole time because it just makes me nervous. <laughs> yeah, which is valid. Uh, But I, I, but I got you. <laughs> Um, so Betty, <laughs> Betty from the second you mean her is having a bad time and just got offered the role of a lifetime because the main actress, uh, got, got into a car, a car accident for the opera version of Macbeth that a horror director doing opera is doing that everyone hates. And for um, some reason it has like a huge budget, but I like massive budget this dude th- uh, seems to not be like a, a, a known quantity in the theater world but betty is miserable and telling her agent mirror that because uh she believes macbeth is cursed uh as many people do and that it is bad luck for her to do this and she is very nervous and suspicious about it um and she's proven right pretty quickly because the second she starts uh people start dying yeah and a, a masked killer ties her up gags her tapes needles to her eyelids and makes her watch as he murders her boyfriend really horrifically and her move is to call in an anonymous tip from a payphone outside and then uh just kind of walk away from it pretty distraught and she's like oh it's the curse it's that damn Macbeth curse (laughs) and (laughs) the movie does a lot to make you think that maybe she's doing it. Oh, for sure. It does this little shot of a brain like shifting every time. And it like, she's always kind of lost in thought. And it's always when she's just kind of alone and transfixed by something or things are just kind of happening in her peripheral that for most of the movie, you're like, Oh, it's Betty. Right. Like she's, she's having some kind of like, you know, mental break and like becoming this killer persona. She's Lady Macbeth. She has a gun in her hand. Yeah. And you're pretty convinced uh, for most of it because she handles every murder so poorly. Um, She is not connected until she's caught with it because every single time she just kind of drifts off in thought and wanders into the night and tells no one. Which is one of my most... uh, beloved like euro horror and like giallo kind of things is that it's the what is she doing of it all it's the the what is she doing the very like this is a, a deranged completely unreasonable and unrealistic response to anything this isn't that's a person happening. no this is not a real person but it's also just such a uniquely like uh Western European aloofness, you know, the, of just a character like witnessing a grisly murder. Mm, cigarettes and ennui. Yes, it's cigarettes and ennui. It's it's watching someone be eviscerated in front of you and and saying, "Oh, chilling night," and then you light a cigarette and stare at the moon. I knew him once, and like his body is still right there. It's <laughs> like, still it's warm. Like, yeah, the killer is still looking at you from the bushes as you're like, "We were friends when we were children." <laughs> 
Or it's just like, how have you already started a new romance that you feel very intensely about in the time that your boyfriend's body is warm so true. and I'm still in the bushes? Yeah, so so Betty makes uh, an incredible series of uh, kind of non-choices where she just wanders from murder to murder, giving anonymous tips when she feels so compelled. Until eventually she's connected to it and uh, everyone's very much just like, hey, Betty, this seems kind of odd. You've ne- mentioned that your uh, mother was an opera singer and that she died mysteriously. Uh, this, All of this could have been really good information to have. Um, and the director is pretty hell-bent on catching the killer and tanking the play. Yeah, which which is fantastic. The opening night reviews are not great, and he immediately does not give a shit. And he's just like, yeah, no, nah, plays are stupid. I'm into I'm into catching murderers now. <laughs> I'm into solving mysteries. Which considering now. like this acted as the kind of uh avatar for himself, very funny. Very yeah. funny of Dario Argento to be like, Oh, you don't like it? What if I made you like it less? God, <laughs> yo, by the way, no, that that is great. The idea of like it getting bad reviews and he's like, Yeah, well, not even about that anymore. Now it's about releasing a bunch of angry birds on the audience. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a literal thing that he does. Uh, he wants to I, hurt us, but I love him for it. I, I also really uh, am disappointed in retrospect that we don't live in the timeline where like a, an actual series of crimes uh, haunted a Dario Argento set, and then he gave up directing to become just a just a detective to just be like, "Well, I'm going to solve this mystery now." I feel like if it would be anyone, it'd be like James Cameron. You think James Cameron would would go detective? I feel like he's really good at filming something and then becoming obsessed with something else in the process. I like, feel like he does like him the in grit, the ocean. Though. You know what I mean? Yeah, him in the ocean. That's true. He does get flights of fancy, but I feel like he doesn't have the grit to be a hard hard talking street detective. Who would? Which director would stop filming and become uh, a ghost detective if something happened? Uh, Johnny Toe. <laughs> yeah, but he'd be amazing about he'd it. He'd be amazing about it. No, I mean, clearly Argento believes that he would because he's just like, listen, reviews don't matter. What matters is catching a murderer. <laughs> Rules. Uh, and yes, the, the killer, uh, it's a recurring plot point that this production of Macbeth insists on using live birds uh and everyone hates it everyone hates it no one likes working with them uh and the director is like too bad which again feels very much like argento inserting himself uh but the bird trainer maintains that birds like the these crows will uh hold a vendetta essentially Uh, crows do do crows have vendettas yes how do you, you seem very confident as though because you I've yourself have one. inflicted, like, been the victim oh, of a crow fuck. vendetta. Now I gotta tell a crow story on the podcast. What's a crow story? Um, It doesn't sound real. I know it doesn't sound okay. real. Okay. But I'm you have fine. a rare form of glaucoma. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine with the fact that it doesn't sound real because I've told the story to other people and they believe me. If you don't believe me, I don't give a shit. This is my real fucking life. All right. My mother will tell you that it's real if you ask Elijah, but here we go. Right. Um, and it's not that I've like harmed a crow. It's that I've Tell been an ally story. of the crows. Um, so when I was a like teenager, not even teen, stop looking at me that way. Uh, I found what I thought was a dead crow on the lawn. And because I was a weird fucking kid, I brought in the dead crow and right. showed my aunt. And she was like, ew, put it down. So I gently set it on the kitchen and it started twitching. 
Um, And so she grabbed a spaghetti colander that she was about to use for spaghetti and put it over the crow to keep it flapping around. Right. Crow sits up. It wasn't dead. It just hit our window really hard and broke away. So I'm like, this dude's my homie now. Right. He's my friend. I found him. He lives in the spaghetti pot. So uh, I have a bedroom. I had a bedroom at the time that had like a balcony attached to it. So I would like hang out with this crow all the time and feed it on the balcony and just like blend it up meat and, and feed it and be cool to it. And eventually it's wing healed and my mom was like, you have to let the crow go. So I was like, damn, all right, I'll let the crow go. And it moved two feet away from my window into a palm tree. Oh, my God. And story's not over. Okay. This is the part where it gets weird. Um, So it eventually found another crow and they had babies. And I guess they just liked these palm trees in front of my parents' house as a like nesting area uh more of their crow babies had babies in those trees and my house became the crow house to okay. where eventually you know those neighborhood meetings my mom sometimes tells you about that yeah, she yeah. goes to where she usually just says like the slides aren't safe um eventually one of the neighbors called the neighborhood meeting about all of the crows uh <laughs> Because he hated the sounds and all of the poop all over his car um, and how much they had, like, started to fill up the park because now they're moving into the park across the street. Oh, nice. So, like, yeah, yeah. the crow population in our specific neighborhood was, like, blowing up yes. and it could be directly tied to the crow house with one crow, me. So he's complaining about the crow house, not knowing that it was my parents' house or that we were the originators of the crow problem. Uh, and uh, my mom was like, hi, I am the owner of said crow house. I don't know what to do. Uh, it doesn't bother me. You, Chief, there's just crows. You're pretty much the only person that's upset by it. Um, him and some other people, but he was the loudest. So anyways, he tried to not my the the ones outside the window because i don't even know like how long mine lived because they all also kind of look similar sorry crows um but he went to the one across the street and tried to knock a nest down um because he was trying to like clear at least the crows out of the park even though he didn't work with the park Um, park? he doesn't own the park and that's where the crows were living that's a good way to get judoed so he tried to knock a nest out of the tree and all of the crows attacked him until he got in his car and drove away. Um, <laughs> and then eventually it came to the point where if he would try and jock at the park, the crows from that nest would swoop at him. Uh, no. So he <laughs> this man became an enemy of the crows. That specific nest, like not all of them. Okay. They didn't all gang up on him like this one. Like they're not all like we have a neural network of crows. Right, right. It was like just that crow's nest. But, but like they did remember that him. family would like swoop at him, and so he had to like not run by that tree. And he still hates me and my parents to this day. Uh, Damn, like uh, hates us. So much. Like, I think his wife passed away, and I, like, brought him, like, fruit or something, and he was like, you're the crow girl. You're the the reason birds (laughs) chase me. (laughs) (laughs) And those crows are long dead, so, like, he's since been able to, like, jog in the park again. Um, But for how long? (laughs) He doesn't, he just, he's used to him now. And also, I didn't bring in the geese. Now there's a goose problem, but. uh, Goose problem is unrelated. That is unrelated to me, despite how much I want geese. But sorry for that tangent. No, yes, they do remember. Tangent. They remember. Um, they never forget. Because I was kill. once the Khaleesi of crows. There you go. <laughs> All right. I love that you created a crow epidemic, a birdemic, if you will. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And my parents will.
will fully be like, yeah, Vanessa's got like this thing with the crows. Got this thing with the crows. With the neighborhood crows. I love it. Uh, we <laughs> should get some crows in our in our house to protect us from interlopers. <laughs> now that I know you can summon and command them. Uh, I named him Bitey after a Simpsons joke. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I called the big one Bitey. Uh, it's the possum that lives in the monorail closet. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so the director of Macbeth, uh, also allied to crows, uh, in the, in the film <laughs> opera, uh, he decides that on, you know, this next night, he's like, the killer's gonna be in the audience. He's clearly obsessed with you. I've got a big plan. So he completely tanks this, the play, derails it halfway through to just drop a big ass cage of crows on the stage and just lets them out. And for like two awkward minutes the audience just kind of sits there shuffling quietly while a bird flies around scoping him out and then the crows finally like yo i found him and all of the crows swarm one dude just start ripping him apart yeah literally pull his entire eyeball out it's a fantastic sequence horror uh, love crow eyes yeah oh we should also we should also uh mention that the soundtrack for the film goes back and forth between like operatic uh classical Verdi. music yeah and uh some sick ass metal that shreds a cool guitar wow like well he's well he's Wait, do that one more time, sorry uh no that's uh, that's do all you get do it do it I don't even remember what I did. Dig it's it, like, dig it, dig it, dig it, dig it, dig it, dig it, Wow! All right. I thought you were going to not do wait, it. Wait, wait, do it one more time, but now I'll do guitar on it. No. I don't know what bit I'm walking into, but I'm tapping You're out. You're not walking into a bit. I'm okay. just trying to be playful. Okay. Dig it, 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 wow! See, I played along. Okay. Kept, I kept waiting for it to be like, a, you, you're going to be like, no, and then on three, we'll both do it, and then I'm the only one who does it. All right, one more time. On three. Ready? <laughs> no. So the soundtrack goes back and forth <laughs> between classical operatic music and uh, whatever I was just doing, whatever we were doing collaboratively, uh, some cool metal tracks, uh, which feels very in line with the kind of like jarring uh, tonal shifts between uh you know or d- a s- shifts in aesthetic at least from this very like uh classical operatic uh very like high budget high production value just beautiful uh visual thing and then just like someone get knifed in the face uh opera shreds opera shreds throwdown shreds these movies shred you I, I got think, your I think opera is my favorite argento i think i like i love Deep Red. I love Profondo Rosso. Uh, Tenebrae is great. But yeah, the more I watch opera, the more it is all of the things that I love about Giallo. Like it is. It really is for me. Yeah, it's it, creative kills. Uh, oh, the the killer himself. Uh, the costuming. Yeah, beautiful costumes. The the killer uh, was uh, obsessed with with her mother uh, when whose mother ordered him to kill for her yeah. in order to bone yeah and he did like a like a, it, he seems very uh, like BTK inspired he like specifically mentions like binding and torturing uh, but yeah was doing it at the orders of this like famous opera singer that was her mother uh, he eventually strangled her because she got too greedy she wanted more blood more blood and more cruelty uh but then after strangling her years later he starts projecting that onto uh her daughter and is like yeah i'm gonna 
bind and torture and kill people for you because that's what you want, right? So, like, yeah, I don't know. His his motive is a little unclear because, like, she wanted more blood, more blood. But then he's giving, he's still killing people. He clearly yeah. enjoys it. He clearly like, realizes well, that he maybe should have solved that conversation with uh, right. a- asking he questions used with I statements. Yeah. Um, Healthy communication is the core to any relationship, even if it's between. I like that you get a fake out ending because once you get to the actual ending, that's when it just goes full sound of music. Right. They're in the Swiss Alps. She thinks he's dead. He staged his own death. She's banging the director now because, of course, um, and he is almost immediately slain. Yeah. Uh, which, mwah, he barely gets a tackle in before he's just, like, stabbed several times. And she briefly convinces him that she's, like, into him just enough to get him arrested. And, uh, and something that I love about this is that uh, because, you know, the, the dubbed dialogue uh, is, you know, not the finest of acting. Uh, and because her character is so goddamn weird and inscrutable the entire time and she has that very European aloofness, when she's like, she watches him stab the director and she's like, you're right, I am like my mother. I realized I wanted you to kill him. I'm exactly like her. I and believed they, her for like I, a second. I fully, yeah, it did not track to me as like her character is, you know, manipulating the guy, which is what's happening. Uh, it's not like, oh, good, clever plot. She's doing like a smart move to trick the killer. I was very much on board with just like, yeah, all right. She had an this awakening. This seems to be her thing yeah, now. now, she's, now she she's got the blood burning. on her. Maybe that's like what yeah. needed to happen. I was fully like willing to believe that just like, yeah, all right, that's, that's what she's about. Uh, but no, she's setting him up to be uh, captured by the authorities. And uh, eventually he is, after the director is dead as hell. Uh, the authorities proceed to ask her many tactless questions, and uh, she wanders off amongst some clover and flowers, frees a lizard, declares she's not like anyone else. She wishes Inc- to be free. Incredible. Uh and and just wanders off into the Swiss Alps. It is the most batshit like denouement for that character that after this unspeakable series of traumas, she's like, you know, I'm not like my mother. I'm not like any of you guys. I like bugs and <laughs> trees. <laughs> and then she just wanders away. If anything, she goes both so movies <laughs> are about women sprinting towards freedom whatever that may be it's absolutely true no she goes so hard in the opposite direction though of like you know yeah i'm I'm nothing like my mother in fact i'm not even like humans i'm I'm a lizard i'm a lizard (laughs) i'm a weird little lizard man (laughs) you're a little lizard man she's just a lizard she's she just becomes a like a a summer breeze she just becomes an ethereal piece of nature that drifts off like betty's eating bark and doesn't want anyone to talk to her no she fully is off the grid uh yeah incredible response to uh the the series of murders but yeah opera is fucking sweet man how do you think it pairs as a double feature i think it's really good i think that both of these films are uh both really kind of ineffably and inscrutably greater than the sum of their parts which is that like they both have pretty simple storylines uh they're both on paper very like straightforward films uh in which ultimately not that much happens 
but both of them are shot and just uh, told visually in such beautiful and unique ways. Both of them are so like atmospheric and aesthetic and such vibes that they become uh, really phenomenal experiences and end up like pulling a lot of emotion out of you despite being like relatively simple stories. Uh, no, I, I think they pair really well together. I, yeah. I love them both. Uh, what are we calling it? Oh boy. Uh, says, all right. Opera terms. What are some opera terms? What are things? Violence, vocals, and vibes. There's a lot of vibes, a lot of violence in both. Bit of vocals. It tracks. All right. I like it. The, the violence, Bs. vocals, and vibes double feature. Uh, and for your food, we're going with. Uh, What's I feel like sometimes at fancy places I see food that like gets like shattered, where it's like a a thing that's like maybe like freeze dried or it's like some kind of like solid creme thing. brulee. And, oh, there you go, creme brulee. That's a thing. So, well, I was thinking of something you throw down to break it, um, but. Yeah, I don't know if it works with creme brulee because you don't really throw. You just your hit spoon it with a heavy spoon. I know, but that's it's kind of mimicking the motion of a judo throw of someone getting slammed. Uh, what about something you have to like turn upside down? Yeah, there you go. Something you got to flip over. Oh wait, what about a turnover? That's a thing, you right? Don't turn over a turnover. Do you not? It's just called a turnover. Oh shit. Have you Why never eaten a turnover? I don't even know what a turnover is, frankly. I assumed it was a thing that you flip over to eat it. Shit. All right, let's think of something Italian. Uh, something Italian. All right, what if it's burrata you spike at the ground? <laughs> and then you have to eat it off the floor like a goddamn animal? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so it's a piece of fresh Italian burrata. You throw it on the ground like you're a master judoka, and this is your final boss enemy that you have to beat before you go blind. Yeah. And then you get on all fours and you lick it up off the ground like a dog and you say, I'm not like others. I'm not like anyone else. I'm like a bird or this lizard. Yeah. And then you eat the burrata yeah. off the floor. That's what I'm pitching. Sold. I like Hell it. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do it. Uh, it sounds delicious. <laughs> so if you've stuck around thus far for a very loopy episode of Kicking and Screaming, that is... Uh, Throwdown and Opera next week's pairing will involve Malignant and whatever the hell Elijah decides to put with it yeah. um, as we're going to be banking a few because I'm going to be going to Guatemala for about a week to spend some much needed time with family um, Elijah where can the people find you? Uh, you can find well first off uh, something that I've been forgetting to do lately uh, you can find this week's movies uh, on Throwdown is yes. streaming on Amazon Prime always forget uh, this part. probably the Criterion channel since they just did a release but definitely Amazon Prime where we watched it uh, and then Opera is available free on Vudu and I think Tubi uh, it's available for rent on, on Prime but you get it for free on Vudu uh, and you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Elijah underscore pizza. And Vanessa, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter under N-E-S-S Guerrero or S-E-N-S Guerrero. That's G-U-E-R-R-E-R-O on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and then... Uh, behind the Monsters on Shutter, And then uh, sleeping through most of the weekend. I'm very tired. <laughs>
And also your stuff on G4. Right. And TV. then I also produce uh, stuff on G4 TV. And sometimes you might see me pop up in there to chime in with facts or to be called out uh, by the talent for knowing too much about burner phones. <laughs> you do crime. Not uh, anymore. Just back when you were illegally. Uh, when I was a dirtbag seeking happiness. When you were a dirtbag seeking happiness. I was going to say something about you like smuggling birds. Um, that was actually. That actually. Like that actually trapping. happened. Did but you smuggle a bird once? Just I smuggled chickens. a cat. Oh, okay. That's pretty good. And some dogs. Ooh. All right. This is a story for off mic. Yeah. <laughs> All Grandma right. had me uh, sleep over a. We'll talk about this later. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, All we right. love you. Bye. We love you. Bye. <laughs>